black exploitation, Atlantis, and hiding on the moon. It's another episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast where a Marvel comic book fan and a Marvel movie fan rewatch the Marvel movies and delve into the wacky, wild, and weird world of Marvel trivia, info, and stories going all the way back to the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. My name is Rob Holden. I'm a comedian, a writer, and a Marvel comic book fan of over 30 years and my bones ache as I think about how long I've been reading comics for and I'm joined on this journey through the Marvel Cinematic offerings by the one and only Mr. Will Preston. Hello! I gave you a, I gave you a, because we're, we're such old comedians, <laughs> I gave you a proper comedian walk on and I, I, that's not, I need to get a different tone for podcasts, let me try that one again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined on this podcast by... Mr. Will Preston. Hello. See, that's how you do it. There we go. And, and I respond uh, calmly to it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, giving, I'm doing too much of an old show. Um, <laughs> we're having so much fun on this podcast. Uh, and just to make sure, I've introduced myself in the way I normally do. I've put my credentials on the table, Will. But I need to make sure, before we go any further, is the format intact? Please let everyone listening know, Willie P., how many comic books, how many Marvel comic books have you read in your lifetime? As same as last episode, a zilch. Oh, the format is intact. <laughs> the show can go on. Um, I just want everyone to know at home that I do have uh, spy drones in place surrounding Will's house. So that if at any stage he does pick up a Marvel comic book, a graphic novel, a trade paperback, I will pull the plug on the whole operation We'll we'll just we'll de- we'll, we will delete every episode in the archives and this thing will be over. Um, so I've got my eye on you, Will. Make sure that doesn't happen. Don't let the people down, Will. Don't let them down. I'm just, just stick happy- to what you're good at. I'm watching the movies. Yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to have viewers at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, you haven't got viewers. You got oh right, yeah, yeah. with my drones, of course. Yeah, yeah I, I, I count them as my viewers. I think the statistics count. The an- the analytics are all there. It's all good. Well, we've been on quite a journey so far. When we started this, it was Iron Man from the year 2008. And we went right the way through all of Phase 1 of the MCU, completing with The Avengers, which was our last episode. We have put that one to bed, Will. Phase 1 in the archives. And we've seen the downloads rolling in. Oh, yes. It's been fantastic. And we've got the feedback. Uh, we've got some great feedback to... to take a look at as we as we go forward in this episode but we've done something we, we announced this last week something special if you for some reason didn't catch the avengers episode we closed out phase one and what did we decide to do will take a detour yep. on the journey a nice little take detour. A detour and where are we going we are going pre-mcu marvel before mcu very excited to be doing that on this podcast and this week we kick off the detour with what is realistically and fundamentally, 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 the first real Marvel movie, 1998 Blade. Ooh. Ten years before the MCU begins, ten years before Iron Man. And in this episode, as well as delving into the wonderful wild trivia behind Blade, we are also going to bring you... A, a, a vastly unreported nugget and story of how the MCU itself 
came into being. There is a, a, a you know, a butterfly flapping its wings, a chaos theory moment in this podcast that directly leads to Iron Man in 2008 and the start of those movies. We're going to get to that in this episode on the detour right on this <laughs> cast right now. Exciting. Exciting. And it's been uh, it's been a real uh, hell of a couple of weeks for us. It's been uh, fantastic. We've had some great, great, great feedback, which we'll get to very shortly um, because it's just been... But thank you, everyone who's been getting in touch. Please keep it up. Um, you can send all your emails and your correspondence to uh, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. That's versus V E R S U S. No, no, no two letter V S nonsense. The full word Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Now, one of the most interesting parts of this podcast for, for me is trying to find out where the, the average person, like yourself, very average, Will, uh, <laughs> Thank you. where the average person. Found, how, how, what knowledge they had of these characters before they exploded onto the big stage and the big screen um, and and I mean with some of these characters we, we've done already it was Thor, it was Captain America it was Iron Man who have had toys, who have had cartoon appearances, TV movies um, Blade's a very different creature if, if to make a pun here so I want to know, did you before this movie came out did you have any knowledge or was there anything about Blade that you had already come across, or was it just the movie? Absolutely nothing. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this movie was coming off the back of the trend of vampire stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer we had in the 90s and everything else that was coming out because of that. That's what it was to me. I, 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 so many people said the same thing, to the yeah. point where I don't know if, if people who are fans of this know it was connected to the Marvel Universe at all, to Marvel comic books at all. No, because I, yeah, no idea, absolutely no idea whatsoever. I, I don't think they, I don't think they mentioned it in any of the regular promotion. I'm sure when there were little interviews with people, they would have said in a, in an interview, "Oh yeah," and it comes from this comic book from the 70s. But it's not like it was from the people that made. You know that 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 wasn't part of it, was it? It was, and I think to your point is really it was a really great point. The 90s were owned by vampires. Yep. Interview with a vampire. Um, Bram you know, Stoker's. That, that was a Bram Stoker's Dracula. Those were huge movies. Yep. Um, and then as you go through, you get like the the Buffy movie didn't really make a dent, but the TV show was really popular. Mm. Um, and you had um, didn't did wasn't there's another um, vampire. It's called Vampires, and it's ah, oh, this is gonna bug John the, Carpenter's vampires. John Carpenter's John vampires. Carpenter's yeah. Vampires. Yep. Which you know, not exactly a huge movie, but th- th- there was a a trend of these movies. There was a vampire in the same way that zombies owned the noughties, mm. uh, or what do they call in the states? The orties. Oh, f- oh, no, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's called over there, man. Vampires owned the nineties, and a-, a hell of a lot of this movie was sold on the fact that. Wesley Snipes was the man, you know. Oh God, yes. Uh, maybe eighteen months after Demolition Man had done big, big, big business and really, really exploded. What a kind of an action star and what a what a box office performance he can put in. Um, so that's really interesting. Then that, that, that there's no and the, the more people we've spoken to about this, it really does feel like this was not necessarily a a Marvel kind of picture. 
No, it, it doesn't. It, we... it doesn't feel like a superhero film at all. Maybe in the kind of nineties way of like, like the Tim Burton Batman films, there's elements of it, but it doesn't feel. Even though it is about a superhero, essentially, it doesn't feel like a superhero film. Well, there's no costume, really. Uh, you know, not, not, <laughs> not like a not like a traditional costume, is there? You can't imagine Blade wearing a mask, can you? Well, I'll go on about the costume when we get into the film because I have some thoughts. <laughs> well, let's as we as we do before we get started, take a little look at at where in in the comic book world, in, in the, the publication history mm. um, of Marvel Comics, Blade kind of comes about. And to do that, we need to take a little look into the history of of horror comics because that's really where this starts. When you're talking vampires. You're talking horror comics. Yeah. Yep. Um, in previous episodes, we did discuss how the superhero comic died in popularity after the Second World War. Yeah. They they burned brightly from the end of the 30s through to 45, and then they absolutely died a death. Um, and in this vacuum, we saw, especially with Marvel, cowboy comics and romance comics come <laughs> to the forefront. Mm. But but nothing flourished. In, in, in those times, quite like horror comics did. Um, there was a publisher that's not Marvel or DC called EC Comics, and they were they owned horror comics. They were the guys. They, they published comic books like Tales from the Crypt. That's ah. where Tales from the Crypt comes from. Yep, it yep. comes from EC Comics. And they featured gore, bloodshed, crime... And proper horror stories. Mm. Um, there are famous EC comic covers depicting men buried alive, Ooh. pleading for their lives and banging on a on a coffin. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, actually, if I may interrupt quickly, I think I have a big bumper book of horror comics somewhere that my stepdad got me, and it was just a collection from from like the uh, from the I think from the fifties all the way to today from. All these different uh, an anthology of horror comics, and my God, they they was there was some really strong stuff even back then. That's the kind of impact that that these covers made on the world. You yeah. know, there's one famously uh, a woman's decapitated head being carried by an axe murderer. Oof. Right now, admittedly, you can't see below the neck mm. of this woman because of where the comic cuts off. Yeah. But you can see a, her slumped body in the corner. Again, shadow covers the top bit. But she's being, as a hand, holding her by the hair. Yeah. Her eyes have rolled up in her head. And the, on the other hand, the guy's carrying a bloody axe. That's on the newsstand. Wow. In the comic book newsstand next to Batman, Superman. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and there was a big public outcry all over america about about this trend of horror comics it's kind of led by um a guy called uh, frederick wortham who was a psychiatrist and he wrote this book called the seduction of the innocent which we briefly mentioned in the captain america episode the, the book is all about how dangerous comic books were mm. it, it alleges that batman and robin are kind of gay lovers <laughs> and there's a pederast angle on it it, it, wow. it talks about the same with Captain America and Bucky mm-hmm. that the depictions of young boys doing doing these kind of things and being this close to older men is not cool. And hey, you know what? He's right. <laughs> it's pretty weird. <laughs> it is. Um, but it, it really banged the drum 
that these crime crime was another crime comics were really big as well. It banged the drum that these comic books were, were dangerous, and this was this was a big deal. Mm. Um, crime and horror comics were banned in cities across America, Texas, uh, Houston and Texas banned it. Oklahoma City banned horror and crime comics and others as well. There were public burnings Ooh. in the fifties. Less than less than ten years removed from. Um, those public burnings we saw the Nazis do of of books. Oh, there God. are public burnings in the same way they had for the remember the Beatle, Beatlemania. There was the backlash against Beatlemania, yeah. especially when they compared themselves to Jesus or didn't. But there you go. There were public burnings of Beatles records. There were burnings of of comic books across America. In fifty four, in April of nineteen fifty four. There was a Senate subcommittee on juvenile delinquency. They held hearings in the same way they did for the mob. There's a Senate subcommittee on juvenile delinquencies investigating comic books. It disrupts the whole industry. And, and they, they, what they do is they come up with um, uh, the Comic Book Code Authority, yeah. which is a regulatory body to try and clean up comic books. And it bans outright and completely depictions of werewolves, ghouls, <laughs> Zombies and vampires. Horror comics are dead and buried. Um, EC goes out of business, and you do not see a vampire in a comic book from 1954 through to 1972 ish, 71, 72. Yeah. They started to relax the code. Hammer horror movies became big. Yeah, yeah, there we go. And suddenly, vampires and Frankenstein and werewolves are kind of popular. So the Comic Book Code Authority kind of says, oh, well, we'll relax the rules and you, you can depict vampires if it's in, in the classic sense. The classic um, sense. So, yeah, as in if it's like Bram Stoker's Dracula, then we it's in a movie, we're kind of okay with it. Um, so at the same time as those movies are coming out and the rules are being relaxed, Marvel Comics seems sees a chance to make a quick book. Because <laughs> uh, um, you know, the, 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 if the comic book code authority is allowing it, and Bram Stoker's characters are public domain, i.e., free for anyone to use, why not? Why not make a Dracula comic? So, so they do. Um, Marvel uh, creates Tomb of Dracula in, in the nineteen seventies. It resurrects Dracula in in the seventies in the Marvel universe. Really, really popular. What the most popular horror book I think of all time. Um, it, it, it ran for for the whole decade of the seventies, mm. um, and and very quickly a very talented writer called Marv Wolfman, and that's genuinely his surname. <laughs> his surname is, and it's not spelt differently. Marv Wolfman. I am um, Wolfman. He, he he gets hired to do the comic and. Um, Wolfman's a hugely influential writer. He created the modern version of the Teen Titans. Yes. He created Cyborg, Starfire, Raven, all those era titans. That's him. He wrote um, Crisis on Infinite Earths for DC Comics, which hugely influential. They've just made a TV show about it this year with all their TV you know, projects. Um, and at Marvel Comics, he also created Bullseye and Daredevil and the Black Cat and Spider-Man and Nova, one of the cosmic characters. Early on in his career in the 70s, he takes over Tomb of Dracula, and in issue 10, he introduces a jive-talking black vampire slayer um, who joins the cast of Tomb of Dracula. 
as these gang of, of vampire hunters chase Dracula across Europe, trying to kill him. So that's that's how we go from sedu- seduction of the innocent and creating juvenile delinquents <laughs> to um, like nearly twenty years with no vampires anywhere in comic books to what if Shaft was a vampire slayer? <laughs> What if Shaft was a, what a question to ask. Hey, we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to it. Yeah. Um that's the publication history um to take us up to where where we kind of need to be with the character being introduced. That's kind of where it was founded and where it came from. Um where do we come from, Will? What what's our basis? We know what this podcast is all about, right? This is about giving to the listeners, giving them all that content, giving and giving and giving. That Captain America podcast is one hour, 50 minutes, right? Yeah. The Avengers podcast, two hours and 20. We're not done. <laughs> We're not done, Will. We we keep giving you people more because we've got more to give. Oh, yes. Huh? We've got more to give. And we put all that over on our Patreon site. We've got some fantastic extra content on there that you can go and take a look at. Um, all, all the images of the things we discuss. If you want to see what Modok looks like, if you want to see what the hate monger from that Captain America <laughs> episode looks like, if you want to see what Hulk, the mechanical juggling robot guy, looks like, that's all over there. We take all the images so you can you can take a look at what we're laughing about, what we're talking about. It's also packed full of, of more Marvel trivia, even more info and stories. It's all waiting for you on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel that's a different word that's an odd word patreon i'm gonna spell it out for you p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and it's all for free uh but you can also tip your boys become a subscriber and, and help support this podcast help us keep the lights on around here this yeah. ain't this ain't is this free will do we is this free hell no this, I mean, this podcast is free, but it costs us cheddar, cheddar, cheddar every single week. Um, and we got some great subscribers already doing the right thing. <laughs> Fuzzy Dunlop the third. That's right, the third of his name. Fuzzy Dunlop the third has signed up to Patreon. He's a subscriber. He's, uh, he's tipping the podcast and he's doing it for you, right? Because you're not doing it, so he's doing it for you. <laughs> and um, thank you for your pledge for your subscription fuzzy dunlop and and he says he writes in to say there's a lot of marvel podcasts and there's a lot of marvel movie podcasts sorry but no one does it quite like you guys i binged my way through iron man hulk and iron man 2 all in one day oh that's a journey (laughs) yeah that is that is a ride that is the entire day day (laughs) oh that's your day yeah yeah that's your day uh he says, I love the trivia you guys dish out, the stories and facts I've never heard of, and I look forward to every new episode. It's happened to me before when I find, oh, this is good. Listen to this. Will, are you ready? Strap yourself down. It's happened down. to me before where I find a podcast I love, but then they just stop making it. Oh, That's happened to me. That happened to you? Oh, it's brutal. I know. It's oh, heartbreaking. It's I know the podcast is free, but I wanted to be a subscriber. 
and hope that my money helps keep this podcast on the air. Fuzzy Dunlop the third, we salute you here on Marvel vs. Marvel. Uh, thank you very much for doing the right thing. Doing what other people have yet to do. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there who haven't done it. And we've got some fantastic feedback, Will. I can see that there's a great big bag of letters and mail heaving at the seams on your lap. Yes. What have you got for us? I've got uh, some crackers here. Uh, First of all, Emily Box writes in to say, Hi guys, I came across your podcast recently and I am already obsessed. This podcast is so perfect for people like me. I grew up in a house full of girls with no comic book knowledge, but I instantly fell in love when I saw my first Marvel movie. I enjoy absorbing any information and trivia I can find. There is something pretty amazing about the intricate and purposeful sorry, pur- purposeful storytelling that you get from 10 years worth of movies working towards a common goal. I think you guys are great, and I'm so thankful for your no gatekeepers policy. I have been a part of some fan sites where the hate is real. Some of us just don't, just really, some of us just didn't really have the opportunity to read the comics. But we are true fans. Again, thank you and keep it up. I can't wait to hear the next episode. I hope eventually you will share your favourite character, who your favourite characters are and why. Best wishes, Emily Box from Oklahoma, somewhere under New Asgard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's been paying attention. Emily's been listening. She knows where New Asgard is. Oh, damn Uh, right. Yeah, it's either... Underneath Oklahoma City, who Emily, check it out. Uh, well, you're not from, and you might not from Oklahoma City, but Oklahoma City, right near where you are, banned horror comics and banned crime comics in the in the fifties. How bizarre is that? Wow, that's such a great letter because we really do believe in no gatekeeping, and um, to 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 be taken in by someone, we were we were a little bit concerned. I yeah. think that at the start of this. That the only people who would listen to this podcast are people like the people making this podcast. And that's a stupid... That, is that, my friends, is an exercise of masturbation. And I don't want to... I do enough of that on my own time. I don't want to be doing that I do enough <laughs> on of the, the both podcast. Of us. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's just so awesome that this can be embraced and enjoyed by people, uh, you know, who, who, again, didn't grow up reading comic books. That's what we want. That's why Will's yeah. here, Hi. to represent... <laughs> <laughs> to represent that Emily, welcome to the family um, It's really great to have you here um, What did she, did she ask us a question? She did, didn't she? Did What uh, did she say? If he, eventually she, so I hope you eventually will share who your favourite characters are and why Well, maybe We could do it briefly But I, I've got, I think that's a good idea for a blog we can stick on the on the site um, from, from Marvel, mine is And I have a lot of favourites um, but sometimes they're... The problem, Emily, with characters that have been around since the 1960s is that quite often there's some trash years that make you reconsider <laughs> liking the character. Like, I, I love Daredevil, um, especially when like Brian Michael Bendis was writing him and uh, Ed Brubaker a little bit and, and some elements of Frank Miller back before Frank really went off the deep end. But hands down, my favourite is, is Spider-Man. Um, I really look. I'm really chomping at the bit to get to a Spider-Man episode of this. I love a poor working class, absolutely broke here superhero. Um, yeah, so Sp- Spidey's Spidey's my all-time favorite. Will, I know you're not coming from the comic book perspective, but who's who's your favorite kind of character? I guess from the movies. 
Oh, for, for the movies. Uh, I mean, are we talking just for the MC, MCU films or the extended MC or the other MCU? No, sorry, the not MCU. Um, well, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Whoever your favourite character is, you know, from from, from Marvel. From from Marvel. Ah, uh, for. for hmm. I really like Wolverine, but I was going to say Spider-Man. I was going to say Spider-Man, but I was like, everybody loves Spider-Man, but I do like Wolverine as well. I thought Hugh Jackman was a great choice in the X-Men films. And I like the idea that he is basically someone who's lived through some main events in humanity's history in the last 100 years or so. He's fought in the wars. He's got, he's, he's just fed up. I see him as someone who's utterly fed up. (laughs) I can, I can relate to that. You like a grumpy superhero. I like. I, I think this is the thing with superheroes. I okay. I like your, your Batman, your Superman. I, I I like you know people who are like oh a sense of justice. But I love anti. I have. I'm, I'm drawn to anti heroes so much, and I always see Wolverine as an anti hero. Even though he is a, he is basically a hero. He's not like the Punisher, but he he's very rough around the edges. He's very rough around the edges. Literally, yeah. Literally, he's a he, hairy he doesn't, boy. He doesn't shave, and he's got claws. Yeah, he's got those mutton chops to make him look like he's going to sell beef in the nineteenth uh, century. I, I've got a uh, another one here from Nimrod. Um, uh, I hope you're not hunting down mutants in the future. That's a joke for about nine people. Uh, <laughs> Nimrod sent us a message, um, and 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 he's he, you know he's he's been uh, listening to all he says. I listened to the Avengers episode and I loved it. I'm really excited for where you're going next doing the pre-MCU Marvel films. As someone in that weird gap between hardcore and casual Marvel fan, this is the perfect podcast for me. I read the collected 60s debuts of most of the characters, but almost nothing after that, aside from Dan Abnett's Guardians of the Galaxy run. Oh, brother. I'm all about Abnett. I mean, you you forgot Lanning. I don't know why you drop Andy Lanning off from that, but Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy run is a preach. I cannot wait to get to that movie. Um, Nimrod then says, I'm going to listen from the very beginning, and I have one request. Are you ready, <laughs> Will? Nimrod's got one request for us. Okay. Don't stop until oh. you've finished. Oh. That's, That's on my like Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to. I mean, and we're not going to stop. Keep the lights. Keep the light. If you want us to not stop, Nimrod, head to Patreon. Keep the lights on, and we won't stop. We're not stopping. Have you got something else for us, Will? Before we do our deep dive. Oh yes, I got one more letter here. So this is a nice one. Friend of the show and TV comedian Darren Harriet wrote us a few words on his experience of seeing Blade for the first time. Oh, TV's Darren Harriet. TV's Darren Harriet. Star of Live at the Apollo and Mock the Week in the Comedy Central Comedy Bus. That Darren Harriet. That Darren Harriet. Yes, I do believe so. Uh, he's <laughs> That Darren Harriet says, I was nine thinking, I shouldn't be watching this. I'm clearly too young for this much violence. But I loved oh. it. <laughs> That's my experience with video games. <laughs> I loved comic books but didn't even know this was a Marvel character. My whole family was into it. We even knew Snipes from Spike Lee movies mostly. So to see him in this was crazy. Black superhero killing vampires, it was mad. And the fact he yells at the police when they shoot him, so awesome. <laughs> That's a really good point, right? Yeah. 
Um, there was a big deal made of that when when the the cage the the Luke Cage Netflix series came out. Yeah. When they were like, ah, you know, it's a in the current climate, a black superhero who with bulletproof skin is really a finger on the pulse. Oh, um, totally. And here's here's Mr. Wesley Snipes, nineteen ninety eight, swearing at police. He is mfing him at those police when they shoot him. <laughs> uh, that's a g- genuinely great moment, and um, yeah, probably not one that can be as appreciated by someone with my skin skin tone. But uh, I still thought it was pretty cool. Oh yeah, totally. Well, well, yes. we've uh, tried to pay the bills. We've gone through all the love we've got. I think, without any further ado. It is time to take a run-up, take a leap, and do that great big deep dive into 1998. Take us there, Will. Take us there. I am deep diving into the year 1998. Okay, so we start the film, not in the year 1998, but in the 60s. A pregnant woman is being hospitalised after being bitten by, as one of the doctors say, some kind of wild animal. In the process of trying to revive her, she gives birth to her baby boy and dies, sadly. In the present day, a seductive woman brings an unsuspecting man to a strange nightclub. As the scene progresses, the man realises something is amiss in the club, yet cannot quite discern why. (laughs) However, his fears are soon confirmed when blood begins to pour down from the sprinkler system, revealing all the club's patrons to be... (gasps) Vampires! Bom, bom, bom. Unable to escape from the hideous creatures which have now surrounded him, the young man seems doomed until one of the vampires draws attention to an individual who has just entered. Someone the vampires call the Daywalker. Oh my lord, when I watch this. See, I haven't actually watched Blade before we did this. Uh, and every- what? Yeah, I know, I never saw Blade. Oh, mate. Everybody moaned at me. Everybody moaned at me for not seeing Blade. They said, watch the second one, but don't watch the third one or whatever. I don't know. You know how people are with trilogies. Yeah. But it what it was good for me because I do love the 90s. I love 90s aesthetic. I love the Matrix and all that. So I was ticking off every single way the film felt like the 90s. I mean, uh, <laughs> not just because the words New Line Cinema appear at the beginning. I mean, that's a very 90s film when you see New Line Cinema logo at the start. But it was, uh, it was just so. I mean, the fact there's a rave five minutes into the film, and I recognise the piece of music used as well. I know that piece of music; it's been on the internet. It used to be on Newgrounds when they did cele- her, uh, Celebrity Assassinator or whatever they used to do. I mean, oh god, even the fashion. You are so right. Like the nineties yeah. things are full of raves. Yeah, um, I love I, it. I was watching an old episode of Inspector Morse the other day, <laughs> and it was. It was about the dangers of like ecstasy, <laughs> yes, and of uh, they all went to they all went to a rave or what a middle aged old man thinks a rave is. <laughs> what was it like? At least, at least in this, they've got the budget, and it does look like a really awesome club. Like, yeah. and the way they shoot it and film it, it's it's at a, a real, real stunning start. Oh, good. I, I I was about to say, like, what did hit? Did him and uh, is, is is who's the psychic called again? In Inspector Morse. 
Lewis. Lewis. I thought him and Lewis were going to like hang around the bike sheds and try ecstasy to see how the criminals think. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite. No, that'll be that'll be quite good to do that in Oxford. Uh, yeah, I, I love I it. Tell you, I tell you, you know, I, I tell you how else you know this is a nineties uh, movie. How else? Um, it's got so the, the the seductive woman who leads him to his death is uh, porn star Tracy Lords, who <laughs> had, had she she was like the first um, porn star to yeah. kind of start to get proper roles in proper movies she's in she's in like um tommy knockers uh virtuosity um and, and kind of other things around this time i remember whenever if she turns up in a movie i go well this is taking place between 1991 and 1999 because <laughs> that was her cachet those was to, eight years i was about to say tommy knockers sounds like a porn film Oh, you must know Tommy Knockers. No, I do not Mate, know. Mate, I forget how young you are. Flipping heck. It's a Stephen King. Anyway. Stephen King. Oh, let's don't carry get me on. on Stephen King. Anyway, I mean, uh, also I noticed, uh, being a bit of a film per- uh, a bit person, I, I noticed it was a 90s film because there was a kind of blue tinge, blue tinge to the whole thing. That was yeah. very, so 90s like that. And and the, the atmosphere feels like it. The, 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 uh, the, the fashion sense. And also that guy who's, who's dragged in, Who's dragged into the uh, nightclub? He he just felt like typical paint by numbers comic relief. You know the kind of goes damn everything, and it's like man, don't. <laughs> that was that, that was what the nineties were. You had a comic relief character who, who just said damn everything and went ah that's fucked up. Well, well sorry, <clears throat> you know that's that's that, that is the kind of you know you know who I mean. You know who I mean. I know who you mean. That's yeah. Ugh, that was that's what sealed it for me. The nineties, also. The fact that he's being dragged off to an underground rave uh, in a slaughterhouse is a massive clue as to what is going to happen next. I, I, I got I to gotta weigh in here, folks. Before, before, I did not know beforehand that Will had not seen this movie. <laughs> and I am just a little bit concerned that you're watching... Well, you, you can't help but watch it with, like, a detached, ironic modern eye i know and what i really need to impress upon you is that this movie was the shizzle this was the coolest film that had come out in a lot this was so badass this was so awesome that I, I, I so maybe i'm gonna have to drop that flag on the play as we go along here and say no <laughs> no stop stop looking at it with a modern sensibility this was badass I, but, I, but okay it was badass Press until play. the matrix came out <laughs> so the oh matrix. get out this is nine <laughs> times better right we're not doing it we're not doing that we're not doing that <laughs> this is, we'll do it we'll do it we'll do it we'll do a separate debate blog about that let's just press play I'll press play on it. Don't worry. I will say that I, I, no, I did. I, as, as much as I did uh, laugh at the nineties of it, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the, the setup. I enjoyed the setup. It made me feel like ah, this is good. Also, for a superhero film, very minimal origin story. This felt good. You've got straight into it. There was there was no half, half the film. He's learning about himself. No, he's straight into it. Uh, part you know, I mean, part one of our thesis: why Blade might not be a superhero movie. <laughs> I mean, it first of all, it's an eighteen, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is a tragic, it is a tragic setup, and it involves a parent dying. 
So it's either, you know, Disney character or superhero. <laughs> That's the only way that goes. <laughs> it all resolves around Hamlet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is. But yeah, so good. We got the setup there. So they refer to the vampires refer to him as the Daywalker and Blade coolly enters the main dance floor, causing frantic panic amongst the vampire crowd. He immediately begins a no-holds-barred slaughter of the vampires, using a combination of martial arts and firearms to pick them off. Eventually, after fighting his way through numerous guards, Blade singles out one vampire in particular named Quinn, nailing him to the wall with stakes and setting him alight. Upon hearing police sirens, Blade turns to Quinn and tells him, Give my best regards to Frost before a burnt Quinn, along with the confused human as the only surviving inhabitants of his attack. The police take Quinn's crisp remains and send them for identification. So, uh, how, how? How are we identifying I t- Ash? I don't know. <laughs> you know, is it, there, there are plot holes in this film, I will admit. But also, I convince that when uh, uh, Wesley Snipes came to do this film... Like he didn't need to go to wardrobe. He just came in in his own clothes. <laughs> I, I'd be good if Wesley Snipes does not look like that morning, noon, and night. A part of me would die. I know. He, I, 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 I mean, I knew about. I think I read more about Wesley Snipes' personal life about how he went off a bit of the rails uh, later in his career and whatnot. And now he's making a comeback. But watching this, I was. In awe of the guy, he was insanely good in this. Um, also, uh, uh, yeah, like like before before we go on with with the Marvel stuff, yeah, I, I could I think I could probably do a two hour podcast just on appreciation of Wesley Snipes. Oh, like, totally. uh, around this time, I, I, I was in, so when this movie came out, I'm about fifteen, and yeah. me and my like kind of fifteen sixteen year old buddies are all tape trading action movies and yes. violent movies as much as we can mm. Wesley Snipes was a was a, a god he was a don I mean Passenger 57 and Demolition Man were were, were really huge in, in what we absolutely love and we were so this was Wesley Snipes he is the most badass badass like yes uh, f- certainly from when I you know I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm from, from the 80s on through he's you know, you think about Die Hard as the ultimate action movie, Lethal Weapon. He he's got an, a huge intensity to to how he is. Absolutely, he is so great in these action roles. But he's also, and I think he does this really well in this movie. He really portrays um, like a simmering vulnerability. He he really he's really guarded, but he's letting you know. You know what I mean? You can mm. tell that he's really guarded you can tell that he's a little messed up that he's that he's you know really upset about his mom and that he's really you know and that he just he, he he conveys tons of that that he's a huge amount of blades badass is actually a macho front yeah i, I just love the guy and i love this movie yeah you could tell that because there's not too much uh, uh like wanky confidence if that makes sense there's a lot there's a lot of there's a solid front that's being put up to hide that to hide everything else. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, also, um, I spent all my youth wanting a full leather trench coat 
uh, <laughs> but by the time I can afford to get one, I now look ridiculous because I because I don't look young anymore. No, 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 no. Will, Will, you would have always looked ridiculous. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> it's just you would have been younger, and everyone would have gone. Oh yeah, he'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it. No, I actually went through a goth phase in my late twenties. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I, I know. I did Coming that to one. It late. That was very late. I went, yeah. I, I shall choose this. I shall choose this right before 30. <laughs> doing stuff like that in 30 is just pathetic. 20, 20s is good. <laughs> okay. So, um, where were we? So, uh, also the fight scene. The fight scene made me think of Batman crossed with Black Panther. And also, what made the fight scene good was, and I don't, I, I don't know what the song was. I forgot to check it out, but it did sound like a remix of Smack, Smack My Bitch Up. By the prodigy, it was that kind of. Well, it's far too early for that. Oh, you sure? Uh, was it Fat of the Land? Was nineteen ninety seven? Wasn't it? Mm, maybe I'm not sure, but I, it's not that. It's not that shakes. It had that same kind no, of. No, it's not. To it's it. not in the soundtrack. No, oh, there's okay. a lot of there's a bit of, there's a bit of um, Joy Division and New Order and stuff on the soundtrack, but but I didn't I didn't hear. Oh no any, way! Uh, yeah, I love I love the New Order and Joy Division. I did not spot that at all. What an idiot I am! But yeah, I, 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 I like that. I like, I like, I love this fight scene. It was good. It was. I, I was taken aback because I was expecting something dated, and boy, I was just smiling all the way through. But Rob, before we go any further, could you please let's let's take time to do what we always do in Marvel versus Marvel. Let's talk about Blade in the comics. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it to it. Um. So, Blade comes out in 1973. Yeah. Two things are happening in pop culture at this time. Hammer horror movies and black exploitation movies. Yes. Those are the what is popular. Shaft comes out in 71. Superfly comes out in 72. Blade comes out in 73. Um, and, it, and it's just, that is the original basis for that, for that character. This blend of black exploitation and horror coming together. I mean, uh, Blackula had come out the year before and been one of the biggest cinema hits, um, and completely un- 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 unexpected hit. Mm. And um, that's, that, that is the, the basis for what they wanted to do with this uh, guest-appearing character. Not a star. He was not a star-leading character. Um, Mar- Marv Wolfman uh, had previously tried to create DC's first black superhero. At DC Comics in, in, in 1968 but he'd had the story rejected and he'd always wanted to, to do to represent something a bit different than just the white superheroes yeah. all the time um, and Marvel's a, a bit of a better home for black characters at this point they've had Black Panther um, they've got the Falcon who was a you know, Captain America character and, and they've had Luke Cage they've already appeared on the page so it was a bit of an easier sell um, <clears throat> Blade's a part of Tomb of Dracula, and and to begin with, he's just a normal guy. He's like the rest of the gang hunting Dracula. He uses wooden knives that he's invented instead of stakes. There's a big deal made about these wooden knives, Will. Wooden knives, yeah. And how they're different to stakes, when in reality... (laughs) Yes. A stake is a wooden knife, and a wooden knife is a stake. But Blade is very proud of these wooden knives... And I think all the other characters can tell he spent a lot of time whittling. <laughs> so they just go along with him and they go, oh, no, yeah, mate, those are much better than a bit of wood. Well done. Oh, well done. You carry on with your hobby. Um, 
But yeah, he, he doesn't have any of these superpowers at all. He he seems to be able to sense supernatural danger, but mm. that's about it. He's a normal person, wooden knives, can sense sort of when Dracula's around uh, and vampires around. Early on, um, Dracula Dracula um, attacks Blade, drains him of blood, and leaves him for dead. And the the rest of the vampire hunters in in, in tomb the, the tomb hunters they're all you know about to stake him before he can come back as a vampire. But um, Blade recovers and explains to them that he is immune from vampire bite. So that's his thing. He's not super strong. He's not super fast. He doesn't have vampire powers like in the movie. He's got a good sense of supernatural danger, and he's um, because of because of how he was born, he's immune. To vampirism, um, and he's he bounces around all the horror books in the seventies. He gets a one-off black and white um, special story in in Marvel, a, a magazine that Marvel put out called Marvel Previews. Mm. This was um, a black and white thing made for for older readers, older audiences, yeah. and it gave special stories to slightly odd characters. It's where Star Lord gets his very first appearance. The issue after. Blade Blade appears in issue three as a as a, his, you get his backstory. Issue four, first appearance of uh, Star Lord, and a couple of issues later, first appearance of Rocket Raccoon. So that Marvel previews has got a lot to uh, a lot to contribute to the journey that we're on. Oh, totally, um, totally. That sounds like it. Blade's uh, he's a, a very popular guest appearance character, but he does not get his own comic. Uh, and once the seventies are over, he doesn't get much more action until the 1990s. In fact, during the 1980s, all vampires in the Marvel Universe are wiped out, which leaves Blade with nothing to do for <laughs> 10 years. Um, and then during during the 90s, Marvel brought all of its supernatural characters together under one roof. At, um, Mid- the Midnight Suns was an imprint and a banner of all the supernatural characters. Uh, Blade, Doctor Strange, Morbius, the living vampire, the both Ghost Riders that were knocking around at the time. We'll get to that. Yeah. Werewolf by Night. All of them together into one thing. Vampires start to creep back into the Marvel Universe in the 90s. And Blade enjoys this resurgence from the early 90s on through. Um, he's part of a detective agency called Night Stalkers. They they just deal with like supernatural stuff. And that's kind of where we are pre this movie coming out. Beyond that... The, you know, I don't know if it's appropriate because that's this is where like if this movie if we were doing this movie like and this movie had come out last year we wouldn't talk about what else was to come and anything else that happens with the character after this movie and we'll we'll do a little bit later on but after this movie comes out Blade becomes almost a completely different character uh, the movie vastly influences Blade in the comics that makes sense so that's kind of I, I don't think we should do much of more of that really we'll do a little bit um but he is i mean right now he's probably his most prominent that he's ever been in the marvel comic books because he's a part of the main avengers team which has never happened before um oh, wow so that's where he is if you pick up uh, an issue of avengers right now um blades on the team as is ghost rider and some others so yeah but but that's post this movie contributing a hell of a lot I just had to have a look because I, I, I've played Lego Marvel and stuff like because I love the Lego games. And lo and behold, there is a Lego Blade. Of course there is. 
And he looks badass. What does he drink? What does he drink? <laughs> I don't know. It'll be they'll make no. it funny and cute. They'll, yeah. make, they'll make it cute. They did the same with Indiana Jones when they did the Indiana Jones <laughs> Lego games. They removed everything to do with the Nazi party. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, I, 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 I love Lego games to be, uh, so much. Um, cool. So press what press one, play for as well. I, I, before we press play, I was just going to say one thing. Some friends of mine said, "Now, where does Blade come from?" We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, because that's an important... Do you, I mean, I, I love these questions, but do you think I've not included that? Do you think I'm not going <laughs> to... Do you think I'm not going to get to it? Do you, you think, think I'm not oh, I Forget about all that. No, I know, I know. Well, I, just got, I just got It's excited. coming up. It's coming up. It's coming up. Okay, I'll press the play. I get the hint. Don't worry. So, back to story. Dr. Karen Jensen is the unlucky individual who performs the examination on Quim's corpse... Corpse in in quotations there because it is a pile of ash. Uh, during the examination, Quinn shockingly returns to life and feeds on both Jensen and her co-worker. However, Blade enters the morgue, having presupposed that Quinn would come back. He attacks the rejuvenated vampire, but is yet again forced to flee when the police arrive. As he makes it to leave, Blade sees a bleeding Dr. Jensen lying on the floor, beckoning for him to help her. Due to some instant emotional attachment, the doctor reminds him of his mother, Blade rescues Jensen and they head back to his base of operations. Quinn also escapes from the attack. So, I know this scene is important, but the acting felt like a B-movie right up to the bit where they got, they got attacked. Because there's a shot where the assistant gets bitten and Jensen sort of stands there with no emotion on her face apart from her mouth opening. And I was like, no, scream or something. This is terrifying. No, but that's it. it, it it's it, She's paralysed with fear. She can't uh, scream. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I think I, I, I really, I know what you mean, but I, having watched it back, <clears throat> I really thought that that scene was paying a real homage to those older slightly the hammer kind of the hammer horror yeah. classics and yeah the the b movie the b movie classics i, I really I, I, it does have a b movie feel to it yeah but i think that's a, an intentional nod okay I, i'll I, I can i can deal with that um, i'm gonna try really hard to not make this podcast no will this is a great film <laughs> <laughs> i had to have been 15 when it came out this is a great film stop i'm gonna try and hold back on that stop ruining my memories you kids so uh dr jensen then what can you tell us about her because i I don't know if she's a character or not she is not (laughs) um she's not she's not a character and it's a real it's a real this is going to be a trend um if you're if you're watching at home if you're listening at home sorry or you'll be watching it just try and put together a list of how many of these characters you think are Marvel comic book characters. Um, because this movie is virtually built from scratch at home. They're, they're, they, they, it's not... Every, every other episode we've done on the journey so far has been... Oh, I mean, aside from like Agent Coulson, who we said... Oh yeah, Agent Coulson was made just for the Marvel movies. And then got included in the comic books... Um, Dr. Jensen and 85% of this movie or completely created by the writer David S. Goya do not feature anywhere else in, <laughs> in comics because Blade 
And I, I, I um, think that Dr. Jensen is a really strong character. Mm. Um, and I think the actress is great. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen her. But, but Blade doesn't have a supporting cast. No. The vast majority of his existence, he does not have his own comic book that could sustain a supporting cast. Blade is generally a guest appearance guy. Um, you know, there have been the times when he, he obviously has had a limited series and he's been part of a team. But yeah, he, he doesn't have these kind of supporting figures that can kind of come come up and come in. And it's a shame because I, I think she's um, she's an asset. And she's really, really cool, really cool character. But nope, we don't have her in the comics. Shame, shame. She's, she, she is, she, she does bring a bit of strength to the role. She's very good. Uh, I, 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 I will accept that that was, uh, that acting in there was a nod to B-movies. That's fine. <laughs> so, pressing play. The scene changes to the meeting room of the House of Erebus, a vampire shadow council. The elder Drag- Dragonetti discusses Blade's recent intensified attacks and berates a young Deacon Frost for his recklessness in running these clubs. During this Dragonetti, scene- mate, just to let you know, just yeah. to, I know it's a difficult word to say, uh, it's just a type of pasta. <laughs> Dragonetti. It's just it's dragon shaped pasta. That's all it is. Yeah, that's very. You must helpful. have had that in the restaurant. They say, do you want fusilli? Do you, oh no, Dragonetti. Get me some Dragonetti. Bolognese with Dragonetti. That's what I want. Yeah, dra- 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 Dragonetti and some Griffinetti. I don't know. I'm trying to name other. <laughs> so yeah, during this scene, there is a short explanation of vampire politics. Most vampires believe that they sh- that they should be more or less coexist uh, with the humans maintaining a secret mafia like power cabal whilst renegades such as frost believe that they should rule them outright it is also established there is some stigma from pure blood vampires i.e those who are born <coughs> vampires towards those born human and later turn into vampires okay so i love these kind of move these kind of scenes and movies where they just introduce the bad guys in that kind of all oh, we're a secret gangster style way it reminds me of batman uh, Deacon Frost, though, bloody hell! Typical bratty yuppie, looking all badass, sat in his chair. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's sat there in suits, going, "Well, what shall we do about this blade guy?" And he's there, <laughs> slumped over. It's probably, I, I don't remember. Maybe he had a toothpick in his mouth. I probably imagined it, uh, just being arrogant, <laughs> arrogant little thing. Just to let you know, I'm a rebel. <laughs> I'm sitting. I've turned my chair around backwards yeah <laughs> oh god also i don't sit like a normal vampire <laughs> <laughs> he should have gone hey man also me- like yeah. he should have got and passed because you look at stephen dorf in this and you go yeah yeah well young head acting all over the top no no he's an immortal vampire he should have grown out of this nonsense about <laughs> 300 years ago <laughs> I always thought vampires are supposed to be self-obsessed and arrogant, though, so it kind of fits in. It kind Good point, of, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. These, maybe because these guys are so old, they've become more, uh, you know, more like adults. But speaking of the other guys, uh, just for me, just for people who play video games, uh, it was very good to see uh, the head vampire played by Udo Kier, who uh, was Yuri from Command and Conquer Red Alert 2, the psychic Russian advisor for the USSR. Who becomes a bad guy? Is that so? C- Command and Conquer is that one of the ones where they had like a full video, yeah. like so the, the, there's like a live action person with a green screen background, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of the thing that plays. And yeah, there was a there was a I do remember that. And there was um there was a space one that was very similar as well, wasn't there? In terms mm. of that 
set up with a live action person and a green screen background. It could have been Wing Commander because they got uh, Mark that's Hamill, exactly it. Wing Mark Commander, Hamill, yeah, they got on, yeah. got on board from that a few yeah. others. Also, one of the Command and Conquers, they did get Michael Bean from Terminator. That oh, was, right. And then a little, uh, I, I could go for what, ages about the actors I'm they got. I'm fairly certain Bean. one of them then got a girl from Hollyoaks in it. Yes, Gemma, was it Gemma right. Collins? Or someone? No, no, Gemma no, Collins is not from Hollyoaks. No, Gemma something. No, I've got a name. But Gemma, yes, yeah, I played that was Red Alert three, and she's uh, as the um, Gemma thing yeah, me. Yeah, I know she was very pretty <laughs> in it. But the thing, I, yeah. I have to go. I have to go on this tangent. I'm very sorry. It was great to have her on board because you're playing. You had other actors in there, like uh, you had who was who was who was in there. I think you had uh, Tim Curry playing the USS lead USSR guy. Some other. A big, big hit. Oh wow! And uh, George Takai's in there playing the leader of the, Jap- <coughs> the Japanese Empire, and then you have her being all right, Commander. Our next mission is this, and the first mission you play as when you're playing as the Allied is you have to defend the USSR invading United Kingdom at Brighton. They try to invade <laughs> Brighton Beach, and they got the Brighton Beach pretty much right. You have to defend them against the pavilion. That's brilliant. And <laughs> oh, and the pier. It was good. I. Yeah, but anyway, I will go. For, I won't go any more down the command and conquer tangent. That's for the other co- uh, podcast. Command versus conquer. <laughs> join, yeah, join join Will for his uh, sister podcast. Will talks about command and conquer for nine hours. Oh God, yes, it's but, a great experience. If you've ever wondered what it's like to be married to Will, <laughs> <laughs> someone's going to experience that soon. Anyway. So we we'll press play back on this. Oh wait, no, no. Before we do, uh, now you've mentioned this before that uh, vampires got destroyed uh, in the Marvel universe in the eighties. But what can you tell us about the vampires in the Marvel universe? I mean, are they different from what we no- normally consider vampires? Um, broad strokes, no. Like you always have to with, with, with vampires in any fiction. Like people always say things like, "Would you like to?" You know, would you would you, uh, would you want to become a vampire? <gasps> the Dark Eternal Kiss. Would you like to become a vampire? You're like, which vampires are you talking about? Yeah. Because the outlier for all of this is Buffy, the Buffyverse vampires. Because <laughs> those are not like if you get turned into a vampire in Buffy, you die, and yeah. you go to hell, and a demon lives in your body with your memories. I don't want that deal. That's not me. I am dead. Yeah. Right? That and that, and that and that's not that's not in line with a lot of other a lot of other ones. It's a bit different, isn't it? And you can take sort of a movie like Near Dark where you know, it they're not they don't seem to be particularly evil. Uh, they they just they they get further and further away from morality the longer they live and the less that the, the real world impacts on them. And then you've got things like the Lost Boys, which yes. seems to be a lot more regular kind of vampires, and they can fly and hover and control dogs and stuff. So I there's... A, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's I was a, about there's, to say... Sorry, sorry. I was about to say, I like the soundtrack to the Lost Boys. I still haven't figured out if it's a good or bad film. It's a great film. Let's not do... Will, if we have another... <laughs> you ruin my childhood, I will kill you. <laughs> so, yeah. in, in, in media... Uh, there is a vast rainbow of vampires, mm. like a, <laughs> all the different shades of black and grey. Then there's a just there's different gradients of, of vampires. Broad strokes, Marvel Universe are pretty normal, but they go off into like they go off into very weird areas. Yeah, because there's also a lot of other Marvel stuff interacting with them. Um, they uh, in, in the Marvel Universe, vampires are all connected to an ancient book of immense power. 
called The Darkhold, which was written by one of the Marvel elder gods, uh, Cuthlan, um, who crops up a heck of a lot in, in Marvel uh, evil stuff. He's like the first wielder of, of black magic and in the Marvel Universe. He writes this book. Humans first discovered this book, The Darkhold, uh, in the city of Atlantis before it sinks, when it's a glorious city full of you know oh, people, right. an ancient city. Um, and it's used to create the first vampire, Varney. Um, Varney uh, and his followers... Varney is a mystic sorcerer in Atlantis, um, becomes the first vampire. Him and his followers flee Atlantis right before it sinks, and there's a suspicion that they were connected to the destruction of it, but there's some other theories in that as well. Um, and then Varney starts to secretly spread his vampires throughout the world and spread vampirism. And he rules the vampire underworld right the way from before Atlantis sinks all the way up until this young whippersnapper called Dracula comes along and uh, usurps the position and kind of takes the takes the reins as leader of all the vampires. And Dracula starts to create kind of other vampires around the Marvel universe. Baron Blood is a very prominent Marvel vampire. He's a British aristocrat during the First World War who <laughs> allied himself with Germany after being turned to a vampire. Oh, wow. And he battles the British hero Union Jack. <clears throat> and he is actually from the same bloodline. He's a Fallsworth uh, in Union Jack. Um, and they're very... Vampires are very active in the 70s and 80s. And there are these... Like we see in this movie, there are these different sects and there's power plays and there's politics and there's well we believe this and we believe that and the leadership battles and that all comes in tribes and and kind of groups you know because they're all spread out across the world and they all come together in different ways um and yeah dracula battles the avengers and the x-men and stuff in in the 70s and 80s and then doctor strange one day goes I've had it right that's enough it's enough vampires I've had enough of you you're always sneaking around asking to come in I know your trick you're not coming in so Doctor Strange nabs himself the Darkhold he Mm. gets the original Darkhold and uses it to cast a spell called the Montessi formula and this destroys all vampires and effectively shields the entire human dimension from uh, the whole world is protected vampires cannot Step foot into into on, on the world anywhere. They've been they've been wiped out, and they they kind of can't, uh, yeah, they can't really uh, knock around anymore. But then, thanks to the actions of our old favourite sci-fi Nazis, Hydra, there we go. Uh, a small number of vampires survived the Montessi formula, and because they can't, they physically can't set foot on Earth. The vampires are hiding on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Dracula and his friends spend the 90s, the whole 90s, hiding on the moon as roommates in like the wackiest version of Big Brother you've ever seen. (laughs) It's all sharing the same bathroom and sharing the same fridge. Oh, no, that was mine, victim. Um, And then after a while, Dracula signs a treaty with Doctor Doom. Mm. Uh, like a non-aggression pact with Doctor Doom and Doctor Doom's allies in the uh, the Cabal, which include uh, the Green Goblin, who, due to reasons we can't go into right now, is essentially running America. Um, <laughs> and 
we, we, we'll get to Instead of the orange it, goblin uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. So, because of that deal, Dracula is then able to take his vampire army from the moon. Mm. His vampire army from the moon and wage war on Britain, uh, which is... A really great, really, really great storyline, um, and yeah, there, there, there's some bizarre, there's some bizarre things that go on in 2010. There's a really odd storyline where Dracula's son takes over the vampire world, um, and he's really, really evil. Not just like Dracula evil; he's super evil. Um, so the X Men decide, I know what we'll do: we'll resurrect Dracula and have him take over the vampires again. Because he was marginally less evil than his son. <laughs> and this prompts Blade to yell at the X-Men for being morons. <laughs> and in this storyline, Blade has the great line, You don't fight Saddam Hussein by bringing back Hitler! <laughs> you stupid <laughs> mutant fools! Oh, How wonderful. is this a plan? <laughs> so yeah, the, the, for some reason the vampires are oddly connected to the X-Men at various times. And yeah, that's vampires in in, in Marvel. Fantastic! I, I didn't think the Marvel universe would be big enough for vampires, but there you go. I don't, keep I, keep growing, keep building. I doubt they could put them in the MCU, but hey, keep hoping. <laughs> right, so we'll press play. The storyline switches back to Blade's lair, where Jensen meets Abraham Whistler, Blade's mentor and weapons technician, in their fight against vampire kind. Whistler delivers a small speech outlining Blade's past, their current mission, and the nature of vampires, along with the power they hold in the outside world. Jensen decides to head home, although Blade reminds her this is a possibility that due to Quinn's bite, she too may become a vampire. It is also established... That's what, that's what I didn't like. Yeah. Why, why, why is she allowed to go... Oh, just before you go, love, just before you go, just a reminder, before I forget... Um, you might turn into a vampire. Just thought I'd let you know that before I let you go home. Have a safe trip. It was lovely to see you. You might become a vampire. I've Have a good the... one. Give us three rings when you get in. Let me know you've not become a vampire. I've left a pamphlet on the fridge that might help. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've been bitten by a vampire. <laughs> it is also established in the scene that Blade is a half-vampire and requires a serum to prevent his need to drink blood. Jensen begins to work on a permanent cure for the vampire condition, using Whistler's research as her starting ground. Now, how close is this backstory to the comic book backstory of Blade? Because I know there's, you know, got Jensen here, for example. Uh, obviously, she's not involved. Yeah. Um, well, Blade doesn't drink blood. That's a shame. He's not. He's not. He's not a half. He's not. I would say he's not a half vampire. He he's referred to in sometimes as a dahampir, um, but again, half vampire sounds like his dad was a vampire, and his mom was human, so he's got half the powers, and that's not the case. He doesn't he doesn't have that curse. He does not need to drink blood, um, and 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 he doesn't he doesn't have the superpowers. Yeah, he has those little abilities. So, as we alluded to earlier. It's established in Blade's origins that he's actually British. Yay! <laughs> he's born in London in the 1920s. So he's quite long-lived. Um, the, the doctor that was called to help his mother give birth in a brothel, 
was a vampire, mm. and the doctor fed on Blade's mother, um, which passed through to Blade, and that's he's got this. That, so his DNA was corrupted as he was born, and he was got these couple of strange abilities, like he's immune to vampires bite, he can sense supernatural danger, and he seems to age slowly or at least get preserved at a certain age. Yeah. Um, now. It's very difficult to work out how Marvel have reconciled this relatively new idea that he was born in in London and grew up in Britain. It's not that new, but it's yeah. With uh, the fact that when he first arrives, and in some other instances of his origin, he is a jive-talking guy with a lot of connection to Harlem and and the American East Coast. Yeah, but but. Yeah, his main drive is to find a vampire that murdered his mother. That's the big part of the origin. And that, as we said, that's almost a superhero origin kind of right there, really. It's, it is, in if you're talking about a 70s style, it's almost like that kind of death wish, revenge cop kind of drive. But it, it is also, you know, you think about how many superheroes come about because one of their parents is murdered or something terrible happens to them when they're young um and uh, you know so he's slightly conflicted he feels like he's he feels like he's half american and very much half british he's really embraced the british side in recent the last sort of 15 years or so um back in that we talked about dracula declaring war on britain uh during that time blade was working as part of britain's Superhero team MI MI thirteen, um, oh, where he nice. teams up with Captain Britain, Spitfire, Union Jack, the Black Knight. Uh, I highly recommend that series. It's called Captain Britain and MI thirteen. Um, search it out. It, it's a, a brilliant British writer called Paul Cornell who used to write for EastEnders. Um, <laughs> he he he's uh, he writes it. It's really genuinely great. Um, lots of really it didn't last very long but it's full of lots of cool concepts and it it has marvel's first ever muslim superhero knocking around in it as well it's a great series that wow fantastic so yeah that's our backstory of blade we'll press play upon arriving in her apartment jensen is assaulted by a policeman who is revealed to be a familiar a human who serves vampires, basically a collaborator essentially, that after years of service might get rewarded by being turned into a vampire. Blade rescues Jensen and later follows the familiar back to the old club of Frost's, there discovering that Frost has plans involving a vampire blood god named La Magra. Although Blade and Jensen are assaulted by Frost's private army, they escape due to the timely arrival of Whistler. So... They have gone for a 90s superhero plot here where the narrative is about the hero needing to save a woman. However, it's not really that romantic. He's treating her like he's a stern PE teacher. He chides her for being careless. Yeah, it's because he's a badass, man. You can't can't have Wesley badass snipes be lovey-dovey in a movie like... in this kind of action role. He's like, you know, he's like... Black Bond. That, if you view it in that respect, he's uh, yeah. He's, he, you know, he he has affection for her, uh, and he bangs her. But really, is all about the mission. He's all about kicking ass, and he doesn't. In the same way that Bond, you know, in quite a lot of those great, like Pierce Brosnan's depiction and Daniel Craig's depiction of him, 
Bond is putting up a big macho facade because he's actually been quite hurt and he doesn't really want to get close to people. I think I think that's it rather than uh rather than it's it's you know, if it was very rom commy, I think we'd go, wait, what happened here? <laughs> Why is Blade <laughs> What's going on? Okay, okay, you made your point, you made your point. Matthew McConaughey is Blade. Matthew McConaughey <laughs> is Blade, alright, alright. That would be weird if Matthew McConaughey was in the Marvel Universe. I, I say that he's probably Oh, it'll happen. It'll it, happen. Every every American actor will get in the Marvel Universe at some point. It will happen. Don't get uh, you. And a small pool of British actors will pop up. <laughs> Jenny Agatha will always be there. Oh, woof. Oh, woof. Also, I know... I, okay, I, I'll take back what I said about you know him being a bad, too much of a badass in this bit, but I will say that car chase was hilariously sped up. <laughs> I yeah, come on, yeah. that was really it's like oh that. they're going really fast, but they're doing perfect cornering. <laughs> yeah, I like I've 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 been I've been defending this film all the way through. I can't defend that one. It was like a Benny Hill car chase. Yeah, I know they were like cutting away to people like uh, women of the night actually being vampires and feeding on, and it was doing high speed, and it kind of fit into that. But at the same time, I, I was too distracted by the cars. Also, I, I, what I loved was as soon as they get to the nightclub, <laughs> Blade just walks up to the nightclub wearing combat gear and the sword, and the bouncer just asks for his invitation. <laughs> it felt like GTA when you walk down the street with a rocket launcher and the police just walk past like it's not a thing. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, I know I can see that you've got your your two swords um, and your bulletproof vest, but can I tell? You, have you brought your invitation? Because that's what we need to see here. I do like your swords. I'd like to take a look at them later on. Oh, they look very impressive, sir. But it is that invitation that we do need to see on the door here. I'm ever so sorry to ever so sorry to ask you because you look like a well prepared man. I can see your guns <laughs> and your, your bandolero of bullets as well. Very good, very snappy. But it is the invitation we need to see, sir. Also, you feel free to leave one of your swords in the locker room. <laughs> Here's your ticket. Don't forget to... If you lose this, I'm afraid we can't return your sword. We've no idea. Of all the swords we've taken in today, <laughs> we'd have no idea which one was yours, sir. So do do hold on to this little, this little ticket stub. Hopefully it doesn't dissolve in sweat. <laughs> and also, when they get, he gets in, there's a... There's, now, I assume this character isn't in the comics either. Fat Pearl. That big I, I, no, it's just a, no. I don't think so. No, the, no, the, no. It's like, uh, how does a vampire get that fat? Well, yeah, it's a good question. It it, it seems to suggest that there there is something else they can. Sh- well, they they uh, there's there's some really interesting uh, depictions of vampires in different media where their vampirism shows their corruption in different ways. Mm. Um, I do like to think that if someone was so gluttonous with how much they drank that like the curse of being a vampire would show that sin somehow um but I don't know we we, we do seem to be going for quite a, almost a this is an odd one because you know like underworld and some of those other ones they yeah. kind of mi- they want to be mixing sci-fi approaches to blood with this like vampiric lore of demon stuff um the size of that character fat pearl is reminiscent of a marvel um criminal uh, like he's a supervillain. he's called the slug and he's just like a grossly um grossly f- overweight fat 
blobus mafia guy. Um, but he's not a vampire, and he doesn't. I, I I don't think that's it. I think it was just um, I, what I what I think is David S. Goya at some point the writer went. You know what else sucks blood? Leeches, and they get dead engorged the more yeah, they yeah. you know when you put a, a small leech on your arm it, it or a tick it swells with blood because it's got nowhere else to go i think that's kind of what they were going for now that would make sense uh also uh, another video game thing this get not uh, i think this was heavily referenced in the game hitman contracts where you had to kill this character who was basically as fat as pearl and not right. only that not only that in charge of a slaughterhouse where there's currently a rave going on, so I think right, that's a, yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly that, then, isn't it? That is a very compact reference to Blade. The whole level was so. That did did you ever play the Blade video game? Then I don't think I did. I On the PlayStation? I, no, no, I I, I I I I never played the Blade video game. Was it? It was, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was really bad. Most movie licensed games are terrible. There's there's no other way around it. They're, yeah, because they... they're produced they're produced almost separately to the movie, like they're they're produced so far in advance, and so is the film to to have one come out at exactly the same time. That the people making the game have no idea what what's in the film. The only the only video game uh, movie uh, sorry movie video game that was any good was Goldeneye because it wasn't originally intended ah. to be a James Bond game, and it was made yeah. like two years after the game came after the film came out, and they just did it for a laugh. Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> hey, video game facts. That's what we need. Also, uh, one last thing on this bit: when the vampire come, uh, vampires corner him in that room with the, the old text. Uh, that girl almost beating him up. Oh man, that was that was a bit of corny acting again, like a V movie. But it was just a bizarre scene altogether, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it felt off. It's a little. <laughs> it felt odd. Yeah. So, uh, so. Deacon Frost, we've avoided him for quite a bit. Uh, I think it's about about time we really delve into Deacon Frost. Well, sadly, in the comic books, Deacon Frost is not a smouldering, sexy, hottie sex pot like uh, 90s Stephen Dorff. Because I I think a hell of a lot of the responses we had um, on this movie were people talking about just how much they went to see Stephen Dorff in the 90s because wow. he was a real heartthrob at the time I haven't seen real, him anything like, else I haven't seen him in anything a ticket selling heartthrob it sounds like you weren't alive in the 90s I really, <laughs> it really does feel like that um, in the comic books Deacon Frost is a middle aged dude with white hair and red eyes yeah and Deacon Frost is the vampire that kills Blade's mother there and turns Blade into what he is so in in he he's the, the 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 driving the driving factor behind Blade. Blade spends his whole I mean aside from Dracula who who is his who is his real nemesis. Once he once he gets, you know, the the, the bug to get Dracula that that consumes Blade for quite a while. That's how he's introduced, but the rest of his the rest of his life is kind of based around the idea of finding the vampire that did this to him and ruined his life and killed his mom. And that's Deacon Frost. He, in the comics, he, Deacon Frost was a scientist looking for the key to immortality. Um, he experimented with with vampire blood and was murdering people in experiments, and ended up getting that vampire, that experimented vampire blood, altered vampire blood, into his bloodstream, and that turned him to a very unique and utterly bizarre vampire. So, 
Deacon Frost, in the comics, anyone that he bites and turns into a vampire, that person then also generates, through some supernatural means, a copy of themselves, like a doppelganger. Mm. Uh, And Frost has complete mental mind control power over that copy. So his plans in the comic books are always to make an army of vampire doppelgangers. Because once he's made a doppelganger, he can bite the doppelganger and make another doppelganger. And again and again and again and again. So he can just create an army of vampire copies. Um, Bit odd. It's not like VHS where the copy of the copy gets like worse as it goes along when you copy tape or something. That's my theory on Stormtroopers. So Attack of the Clones, yeah. they are they are shizzle hot elite troops all based on Django Fett's DNA. Yes. Right? They're immense. New Hope, they're copies of clones of copies of clones of copies of clones. There we go. And they can't hit anything. <laughs> because they're just degraded photocopies over all those years. Um Yeah, I don't know, it's weird. There was a there was a, a doppelganger of Blade knocking around for a while. That was Deacon Frost made, and it was just called Doppelganger. Um, yeah, he's odd. I mean, he although he is a, it's a great name, Deacon Frost. Uh, it sounds like a band. Uh, <laughs> you think you're Deacon Blue? Sounds like you? the band that Deacon Blue become when Ricky Ross leaves. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> got to change the name, or Ricky will sue. Um, yeah, yeah. A town, a ship called Misery. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Deacon Frost is a cool name, and he's kind of a—he looks uniquely cool with the red eyes and everything. But yeah, he—he he doesn't really bug. Once he's Blade kills him, and then he comes back, and Blade kills him again, and that's kind of it, really. He doesn't have a very cool story behind him. Yeah, sounds pretty basic. Is—I uh, he, he, mean—is he like a Raz Al Ghul character or not? From the sound of it, I know. I How do you mean? I don't know, old guy. Old mysterious guy. <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. He's old, white hair. He's older. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, uh, when is when is the deacon the first name, or is he actually like a dark deacon, like a church thing? That's never really gone into. I'd always assumed it was his first name, but it might. Yeah, it might not be. I mean, because he's a scientist and he poses as a doctor, so you don't. Yeah, I, it, the stories don't have him posing as a religious person, so. Who knows? I always see that with vampires. Always see a reference to religion somewhere, or you know, yeah, yeah, or whatever. So, however, shortly after this, Frost makes a second strike. While Blade heads out to fetch, sorry, whilst Blade heads out to fetch ingredients for a serum, Frost abducts Doctor Jensen from the lair and badly beats Whistler, letting Quinn and the rest of his crew finish him off. Upon Blade's return, he finds a taunting video left from Frost. In a poignant scene, Blade aids Whistler in suicide. Blade hears a gunshot from outside, but doesn't see it happen. Stricken with grief, Blade vows to find and kill Frost. During this time, Frost kills Elder Dragonetti <laughs> by subjecting him to a sunrise and forcibly gathers the other members of the Shadow Council as volunteers. What a scene that sunrise scene was, wasn't it? Oh. God, that was brutal. Oh, mate. Horrible. Yeah. I mean... You, it's, it's, it's full on. I mean, when you think of vampires seeing the sun, you just imagine them, like, turning to ash, and that's it. Dust. Dust. But no, this was, like, skin splitting open, uh, blood coming out. It looked agony. 
Uh, you yeah. could you could not do that in the MCU. If they brought Blade into the MCU, they could not do anything like that. See, if if it had happened when the Netflix deal was kicking around, mm. I uh, because the, the the Blade is coming to the to the MC to the MCU. That's definitely happening. He's been cast and everything. Oh, fantastic! Did you did you not know about this? I heard they were doing a new Blade film. I thought is Blade still under. Uh, Ownership of somewhere else, or have they managed to get it back under under MC, the MCU? I don't think Blades. I don't think Blades. I think it's yeah. They've, they've it's fine. They've got him. Yeah. Oh, good, good. I'd like. Cause I, I, I don't I, know I, how long this new the new line. You know, when when new line Sony had it, but um, Mahershala Ali, um, who you know was in that Oscar contention, um, he's got the uh, he's been cast as the role. So he'd be that will be very exciting to see. I very much wanted it to be a Netflix series in the vein of Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, the darkness and the violence of that. And I also very much wanted Wesley Snipes to play um, some sort of 70s version of of the character, you know. (laughs) Um, That would have been... You know what, personally, I would have cast a Wesley Snipes as Blade and had... A new character playing a new role. I don't see any. I don't. Why? Why not? Why not have Wesley Snipes as the the badass who's been kicking ass and killing vampires for decades? Be, I think that would be really cool. But there you go. It would be like recasting Iron Man or Wolverine, wouldn't it? You can't imagine anyone else playing them. I don't know. I I can. I'm 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 not as precious as a lot of people are about <laughs> it. It doesn't bother me. Um, I I really can. Yeah. I just think I I think Wesley should get a chance to do it properly. With some, I know he did with these first two, but you know, okay. I want to see, I want to see him meet Daredevil and Spider Man, and I want to see that. I want to see him fight Captain America. God, that would be a scene. Um, what would he? He just turned up in all his gear to like the Avengers headquarters, looking badass with his sword. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. That's exactly how it happens. So Whistler, uh, he's been he's been killed. Uh, uh, very, some very good scenes with him in was it Chris Christopherson yeah very badass uh, how important is he in the comic books I mean he is in the comic books right no what <laughs> Whistler is Whistler is not a comic book character bloody hell he's created for the movie um, if we if we go back to that black and white blade story from 1975 in Marvel previews mm. that tells some of his origin we see an orphaned blade is essentially raised by a military veteran by the name of Jamal Afari. Mm. Um, Afari had a long and interesting life. He seems to have met. We we later on discover that he's met Dracula, but that in 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 the nineteen seventy five he was just he was a homeless man, a homeless veteran, and it seems like the homeless are often prey to vampires in this story because you know no one's going to call the police or anything. Um, so Afari has been fighting vampires on the streets for, for the whole time he's been homeless. Mm. And Afari takes Blade under his wing, teaches him how to fight and survive on the streets. Um, it doesn't have any cool tech like Whistler does, because this is the 70s. Uh, and it, it's just silver and wooden knives and stuff. But that seems to be the role that Whistler occupies here in the movie. The Jamal Afari role of surrogate father figure and trainer and everything 
armorer. It, it, it's cool to have Chris Christopherson here. Um, I love him, and I, I I really think he's 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 brings a lot to the to the to the role, and he brings a lot to screen. But I do know a lot of people, uh, comic book fans, who were a bit annoyed that this absolute total black badass had to be taught how to do this and trained by an old white man. Yeah. Um, and, and and if you think about where where does the power come from and all of that, I think I think the Jamal Afari role and character could have been easily updated just as much as it could have been, you know, cha- get rid of it and put someone else in there and, you know, bring Chris Christopherson in. But uh again, I really like I I like Christopherson, so it is it is cool and it is fun, but he's not no, here's where things we, we we tease this. We tease this at the start of the of the episode. Here's where things start to get really interesting for the MCU, okay, and for Marvel projects in general. Mm. So, if Whistler was created in the 1998 movie Blade, how by by David S. Goya, which he was, how does he appear in a Spider-Man episode from the Spider-Man animated series? From 1996. Okay. Two years before the movie brings that he was created and comes out. So, 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 so Spider-Man the animated series has a Blade episode written okay. in, in in the mid written in the mid 90s by John Semper Jr. who who wrote loads of the Spider-Man animated series cartoon. Great cartoon that you should all go and uh, if you didn't grow up with it like me, go and check it out. Avi Arid was the executive producer of that cartoon. Avi Arid is a hugely important figure in Marvel, right? He was part of Toy Biz, the toy manufacturers that used to make all of Marvel's action figures and toys. When Marvel went bankrupt, Toy Biz bought Marvel, and, and Avi was big part of that deal. He's part of the top echelon of Toy Biz, and now he's part of the top echelon of Marvel Comics. And he's really, really a key figure in bringing success back to Marvel with animated projects and toys. And he went on to be the founder of Marvel Studios. Oh, which no makes way. all the MC movies that you love. Oh, oh great. So, Avi Arid sees the script, because he's the executive producer, hmm. he sees the script for this episode of Spider-Man that involves this Blade character, and he shows the script to his friend and someone he wants to work with, David S. Goya. And David S. Goya reads the script to the Spider-Man cartoon, thinks it's great, and then goes on to write this movie that we're covering right now, the Blade movie. So that episode of the Spider-Man cartoon got the ball rolling for the first real Marvel movie of all time, which got the ball rolling for Hollywood to take Marvel comics seriously, and then ten years later... The executive producer of that cartoon, Avi Arid, founds Marvel Studios, launches Iron Man, starts the MCU. Wow, that's so, that, that's a ball rolling right there. With that in mind, once John Semper Junior saw the script and was clued up about the Blade projects, someone said, "Hey, you know that episode you wrote? Well, this is what's going on with it." John Semper Jr. sees the script for the Blade movie. He's then able to, before it before it's made and aired, rewrite the episode of the cartoon series to include Whistler as a character. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look the same, but um, it has 
the first appearance of these very cool, different, completely. I mean, this is radical. As far in modern, in overly popular that everyone would have seen um, portrayals of vampire, the Spider-Man animated series, I think, is the first depiction of things like UV weapons being used. <laughs> yeah, I think Blade has UV knives, which are essentially tiny lightsabers. Um, he has garlic grenades. He has holy water bombs, and using technology in the in this interesting way that the Blade movies would then do a hell of a lot of. Um, and another cool little note in the cartoon: Whistler is voiced by Malcolm McDowell. No way, which is pretty pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I like. So I like what Malcolm McDowell pops up in places like that. But also, what a what a what a little odd, interesting little. You know, chaos theory that you go from a Spider-Man cartoon and some guy writing it loves this old 1970s character, <laughs> throws him in an episode, and then the Marvel Universe gets created, you know, the, the MCU gets created. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I like, it almost seems like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's just like, <clears throat> it's, it, it's a similar way. It's almost uh, how, uh, it, it's a very <clears throat> similar to what happened with Harley Quinn with Batman. She's originally supposed to be a background character in an episode of the uh, animated series in the early 90s. Then they decided to give her a voice, and then they made her a character, and then it continued on to the comics, and eventually you have her today as one of the major uh, characters in Batman. She was originally supposed yeah. to be a background character in the cartoon with no, no speaking role. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay, so Whistler, extremely important. So, back to the, back to the film, press play. Blade arms himself for a raid on Frostbase, taking along with him specially designed pneumatic syringes loaded with EDTA, normally used as a blood thinner to clear blood clots in the heart, which has a highly volatile reaction to vampire blood. During his attack on the base, Blade fights uh, his way through a horde of vampires, yet discovers a terrible truth once he reaches the top floor of the building. He learns that his mother, (coughs) the pregnant woman from the flashback scene, did not in fact die and is now Frost's vampire mistress, as it was Frost himself who had bitten his mother during her pregnancy. Overcome with shock, Blade is easily subdued by the guards, who knock him out and take him to the Temple of Eternal Night, where Frost reveals the final stages of his plan. Now, before uh, before they get to this bit, there was a scene in, in the daytime, when uh, they, they meet up in that park, and <laughs> Deacon Frost has used sunblock. Yeah, I hated that. I, 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 I like the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the ingenious of it, but at the same time, it was like, no, you do not do that with a vampire story. That's a stupid. It just it. What's the point then? They're just they're, they're not cursed in the slightest, then, are they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like a, a way around. Hey, that's one thing I wanted to bring up before you got some the important thing, which is, of course, is there anything we need to know about Blade's mum, considering we would just seen her here? Not. Not really. Um, not before before this movie. I mean, she is his main motivation for years and years. Um, and before this movie came out, nothing really, nothing happened with her. After the movie came out, they kind of took this scene and, and redid it, but with uh, Dracula. So Dracula resurrects Blade's mother, which seems to be a thing vampires can just do. Yeah, I uh, think they seem to that. always be able to resurrect people. Um, 
he resurrects Blade's mother and and uses him against her. A bit like this scene. I don't think she's uh, shagging him, but you know. And that's that's pretty much it. The, 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 in two thousand and six, there's quite a weird storyline that reveals Blade's long lost father, who we've never seen before, was part of some secret society <clears throat> and manipulated events to send Blade's mother to a certain, to, basically into the arms of Deacon Frost and things. But that's I don't know. I didn't read that. I'm, I'm aware it happened. It might have been a great story. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> It just seems like there's a lot of cluttering up of... I don't like it when a character gets every single person in their backstory, in their life, is cluttered up to return from the dead, become a supervillain, become a superhero, get superpowers, have a mystery. Like, there's when there's no ordinary people in their background, yeah. then I don't understand how that person in the middle is unique in any way or special in any way. Oh, all 16 people in your family had a dark secret and superpowers. Wow, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need a you need an Aunt May. You need an Aunt May in yeah. there somewhere. Exactly. Cool. So, back to the story. Using his resources and vast wealth, Frost has managed to rebuild the temple and intends to use it for Lamagra's resurrection, a key ingredient of which is Blade's sunlight-resistant vampiric blood along with the sacrifice of the other 12 council members, who were all members of the leading vampire noble houses. Through the ritual, Frost becomes an eminently more powerful vampire, far surpassing any other vampire's strength or speed, and gains the powers of each sacrifice member, such as immunity to silver and red bulging eyes from the Kobe, Kobe Jetsi tribe. Blade breaks free from his sacrificial housing, killing his mother and draining Dr. Jensen to renew his strength. So, Rob, if Blade in the comics isn't half vampire like this, is the Daywalker an important thing? Um, it becomes... It, it does. So, once the movie came out and was a huge success, yeah. like a massive success, uh, it, it cost like $40 million to make and it, it generated $140 million worldwide. Mm. Massive success. Yeah. Marvel Marvel has this dilemma that they can't really capitalize with a comic that captures the adult nature of the film. Mm. I mean they 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 have just started to climb out of bankruptcy. Their new owners are Toy Biz. They're doing stuff for kids, you know. Not not that all their comic books don't have adult or mature content, but they don't have graphic content. They're still they still adhere to the comic book code authority that we t- talked about from the 50s the comic book code authority still has power and you have to get that stamp on every issue mm. and to do that you have to not be graphic and not have graphic content and um but f- anyone that wanted to pick up a blade comic book he didn't represent the character in the movie he's not half vampire he doesn't drink blood he's not super strong he's not the daywalker exactly so in 1999, Marvel has a storyline where um, another sort of vampire, the Spider-Man villain Morbius, is driven mad by bloodlust and he bites Blade, infecting him with his odd sci-fi vampire blood. So those two unique bloodstreams mix and as a result of that, Blade develops superhuman strength and powers he as well as he he now has a need to drink blood 
and he keeps that at bay with a special formula. Basically, they in 1999, they transform this comic book character that we've had since the 70s, and they completely retrofit him to bring him very much in line with a superhero movie version of, of Blade. So from that point on, 99 onwards, yeah, Blade is the Daywalker, and he is virtually, you know, he's got all the same uh, abilities and, 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 and looks the same as he does in, on screen. Yeah, that that sounds like the retcon that usually happens after a successful film. It's like what happened with Tomb Raider. They made when they made a film about it, the, the games after looked like the film. <laughs> right. Yeah, always happens when it, when a film's successful like that. So after Blade de- uh, disposes of Frost minions, the two meet for one final climactic battle at the base of the temple. Upon discovering that Frost cannot be killed by any conventional means, Blade empties every single EDTA syringe he has on Frost who is now constituted entirely of vampire blood, causing him to explode violently. So, I there's a, see, there's a lot going on in this temple bit that I need to talk about. <laughs> um, it, the, I mean, it got a bit Raiders of the Lost Ark, didn't it? When you have the, the skeletons <laughs> climbing out of their mouths. Uh, it was, it yeah. was yeah, it, it felt very like, like uh, them trying to not look at the Ark, almost. Uh, also, uh, he d- he did a superhero landing in the temple, which was a first. It's the best. It's the best superhero landing ever. He got it right. He it's got- to this day. It is the best with the cape, not the cape, the, the 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 long trench coat, and the way he looks up. That's the best. Yeah. Oh, totally, absolutely. Uh, also, a couple of uh, hilarious bits I noticed. Uh, <laughs> That you know, there's that that vampire. I think he keeps losing his arm. It's a constant running joke about him losing his arm or something. Uh, and, and his line when they come into this temple is, "I'm going to be a naughty vampire god." Was oh, that right? I missed that. <laughs> I I think that's the line. I, I I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I swear I heard him say, "I'm going to be a naughty vampire god." Also, that's awful. That yeah. is an awful line. Also, you know when he chops up um, Deacon Frost and he sort of reconnects with the blood CGI, that blood going everywhere, and suddenly he sort of oh, yeah. morphs back together. Oh my god! Oh my god! That is that's that's the ninety CGI still finding its way. Like, but <laughs> I mean, that's like looking back at I don't know. Oh, I can't believe that film's in black and white. It didn't even have colour back then. That's so rubbish to not even have colour in the past when you made the movie. It is what it is, mate. It, it was I great know. at the time. It was I the know. best they could do. I know. I just, I just like, I like, I like hindsight in film technology. It's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, okay, so back to the story. So, uh, climbing uh, out from the underground temple, Karen offers Blade her cure. Blade refuses because curing him of his need for blood would also remove his daywalker powers and he would be unable to hunt vampires and requests for her to make him a better serum, reminding her that there is still a war going on. The final scene shows Blade in Moscow hunting down and killing a Russian vampire who has persuaded a human to follow him to a vampire club. So it's kind of like the ending there is, oh yeah, Blade's back, there's more stuff to come. Also, uh, first Marvel film I've watched in this podcast with uh, no post credit scene. What? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How did that feel? No, how did that feel? I don't know, kind of... Uh, I, I, this is the thing. I... <laughs> 
even non-Marvel films now seem to require a post-credit scene. It's become a standard in a lot of films. I think you've tra- you've been trained to expect it. Hey, listen. I watched the Sonic the Hedgehog film the other day. <laughs> it's a solid six out of ten. Not great, not bad. Jim Carrey's acts like he does from the nineties. It's it's great. It appeals to a part of me that likes the type of thing. But even they did a post credit scene, and I really to yeah. set up a sequel. Yeah, Tails comes. Tails wow. the fox. I, I, it's not exactly Thanos turning around in a chair, but Tails. Oh my god. <laughs> It's it's funny you say that because they nearly they nearly had the nineteen ninety eight equivalent of that. Oh, in the, they they were going to Sonic the film, Sonic the Hedgehog film. No, obviously the nineteen ninety eight Blade movie has nothing to do with Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. <laughs> they what? nearly had yeah a, the film ending nearly set up the sequel. This this was ah. not the original ending for the movie. Okay, so you could tell us how the way the take. So, what can you tell us about the way the film ended? What what was supposed to be there? Yeah. Uh, there's another ending for the movie, an alternate one. Yeah. Um, if you head over to the Blade blog on our Patreon, you will see the clip there. We'll post it because it is uh, available. Mm. Originally, the movie ends with uh, Dr. Jensen offering Blade the cure, like he does there. Mm. And as he's turning it down... Um, they see that they're being hunted by a supernatural figure on a nearby rooftop. This strong-looking figure, shrouded in a long scarf and a coat to cover their face. Blade draws his sword, and it's that kind of same thing that in Moscow of the war continues, the fight's never over. And that was meant to be the introduction of Morbius in Ah, 1998. There we go. So instead of getting him in 2021 with Jared Leto, you were supposed to get him in 1998. And alright, it wouldn't have been a post credit scene, but the last scene in the movie of Blade would have set up the sequel, which was supposed to be Blade battling Morbius, the, the living vampire. Um, that, that clip is available, and uh, Steve Norrington, the director, actually uh, is the guy in the costume playing Morbius in that little clip there. Morbius seems to be somehow forever connected to Blade. Um, Morbius was the first vampire character that Marvel tried to kind of test the waters in the 70s and see what the comic book code authority would allow. There he's really oddly named. He's not advertised. He's, he is, in fact, he's advertised as not being undead. They go out of their way to say, this guy is not dead. He's a living vampire. He's science fiction rather than supernatural. Surely you can't disagree with that, comic book Thodor Cardi. And then the the Spider-Man cartoon where Blade's introduced to the wider world for the first time, that's a Morbius episode. Spider-Man is in the middle of a long story arc to try and save Morbius and all that kind of stuff. And then in 1999, when they want to turn comic book Blade into something more like movie Blade, who do they use? Morbius again. So that character's very tied in. I think it's... uh, I love the second Blade movie. I really do. I think it's a uh, a great film. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, I think, is fantastic. Oh, it's a Guillermo um, del Toro film? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no wonder it's got Ron Perlman. Sorry, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and I'm like, oh, Ron Perlman's in it. <laughs> yeah, well, they do like to um, work together. Um, yeah. And if, if, uh, if you... 
get a chance to see uh, some of this is carried over from I guess the early ideas are in it but uh, Del Toro wrote a series of novels called The Strain which mm. were then turned into a very graphic TV series which I highly recommend it is really good really dark it's like The Walking Dead with with vampires and it's but it's absolutely brilliant especially if you like a lot of the themes that you see in Blade of the vampires kind of having a secret cabal that infects the world's mm. power plays. Um, it's it's really, really excellent. Um was available on Now TV for a long time. I'm not sure if it still is. But yeah, check out The Strain. Yeah, I haven't read the books, but the TV series is awesome. Yeah, I've, I've been told about so, that before. Yeah. Um, so that is... I think that's probably the end of all the trivia that I've got welled up inside of me about Blade. Uh, we come to the end of the first stop on our detour before <laughs> the MCU. Will, what did you make of of the movie? Uh, I liked it. I liked it with its. I know. I know it's got some fo- some flaws to it that are basically to do with the time it was made and everything. But I, I really loved it. I think uh, Wesley Snipes is a fantastic lead in this. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those roles where he is essentially just being a badass, but at the same time you're going, but it's really good. He is a really good badass. He's not being a typical badass, or kind of, be, you know what I mean. Um, I, I, I like to think of it as like a time capsule film because of how nineties it feels. That's huh. that's how I will. Fe- that's how I feel about it at times. Yeah, I think you're right. That that. That simple, not simple is the wrong word, but that pure badass, I think, is very in line with the black exploitation movies that kind of inspire it, uh, inspire the character anyway. You know, Shaft and Superfly, um, they're just they ooze cool, and when you ooze cool, you don't need to do a whole lot more. Yeah, you know, you're cool, you're badass. Um, well, then we reach the point in that we do in every episode where we turn to Will Preston, who has <laughs> never. And I mean never read a Marvel comic book in his life. And we ask him, what was your favourite bit of Marvel trivia that we've learnt in this nearly two hours of delving into Blade? Dracula on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that's where they all had to live for a bit. Um yeah, he meets he meets Doctor Doom on the moon, and they have a chat. They have a little chinwag on the moon. Doctor Doom on the moon he's, with he's spoon. Locked out of the house, can't get in at noon on the moon with Doctor Doom with a spoon. All right, I think I think this is probably where we need to end the episode. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> if we're doing bizarre rhyming for no reason, yeah. I think we're at an end. Um, okay. Hey, new blogs are added every week to our Patreon site. Marvel, uh, no, don't start with that, Rob. It's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, mar- slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um, the, there's a Blade blog that will be up there right now as this one is launched. Mm-hmm. Um, you can check out the original ending to the movie. You can see images of all the stuff that we've talked about. Even more trivia, even more info, even more stories. Um, plus, you can check out the ones we've got on Avengers and Captain America and... We're not done there, are we, Will? Because we're working on some exclusive bonus content and that is only going to be available on the Patreon page. So make sure you're checking that and looking out for that. Thank you for joining us here. 
as we uh, took our first step and our detour. We're not done. Obviously, phase two looms. But before we get there, we've got another stop on the before the MCU detour. Next episode, let's all meet up in the year 2000 as we give the Marvel vs. Marvel treatment to the X-Men. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you rate, subscribe, and hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel? And don't forget, join us in the next episode as we re-watch X-Men. <laughs>